Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AI for All podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon. My co-host, Neil, and our producer, Nikolai, are out today. So it'll just be me with our very exciting, fantastic guest, who I will introduce here in a second. We are going to focus today's conversation on the importance of data in AI, how AI gets data, or how you can get data for AI, and many other very exciting topics that we have planned. So on today's episode, we have Stan Snyder, the CEO of Real-Time Innovations. They are a software framework company for autonomous systems. Stan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi. Great to be here. Great to have you. So the first thing I wanted to ask you to do is if you wouldn't mind giving a quick introduction about yourself and the company to our audience. I'm Stan Snyder. I'm the CEO of a company called Real-Time Innovations. We call it RTI. Uh, we are on a mission to run a smarter world. Uh, we really are... Uh, not not an AI company so much as a uh, framework, the software architecture that allows AIs and uh, advanced algorithms to connect and run real-world systems. So we're trying to uh, really run a smarter world. So we do uh, uh, lots of things. Uh, over to it, we started out with autonomous vehicles. We're in over 250 autonomous vehicle designs, uh, ranging from flying things, underwater things, forklifts construction vehicles, mining vehicles, ground vehicles, and lately, uh, passenger cars on roads, but that's a relatively uh, new thing. We've got lots of experience with that. We do medical systems, patient monitoring, images, medical robots, uh, over 400 different defense systems, and renewable energy, um, especially hydropower and wind power. Uh, I just, just figured out we're running about, about 12% of the renewable energy in the U.S. runs through our software somewhere. Uh, we've done some big things you may have heard of, like the Canadian Air Traffic Control System and NASA's Launch Control System. But most of our programs that we work with, we've got about 2,000 of them, are uh, smart, big things in the real world, like medical robotics, autonomous vehicles. Sounds like a lot of a lot of uh, you're collecting a lot of data. That means from uh, from all these different systems and solutions. If I'm listening to this, and I am not a technical person, and just trying to understand in kind of layman terms what it means to be a software framework provider, what how would you kind of describe the kind of role you all play in the industry for somebody that might be new to um, kind of this type of discussion? Yeah, so you you actually set me up uh, without knowing. You use the word collect um, in the in the cloud world. Uh, so intelligence is always about data. Right? You've got to get data. You got to get it together. You got to analyze it. You got to figure out what to do. Um, cloud based AIs have days, months, or years to model what they're trying to model. So most AIs today are used basically to figure out what ads to throw at Ryan. Um, and you know if everything you do online, it can tune its model to figure out what, what best to show you. Uh, in the real world, data isn't static stuff you can collect. That's why I don't like the word collect. It's real-time information that's old very quickly. It doesn't matter where the pedestrian was two hours ago. It matters a lot where it was two milliseconds ago or is going to be in the next two milliseconds. And what we are basically providing in this world, you know, cars, planes, hospitals, power systems only have milliseconds. It's the ability to get the data they need to the right place at the right time to the algorithms and back to the the actuators, which means motors, things that change the world uh, fast enough to make it work and reliable. So, um, you know, intelligence is about data. 
autonomy, intelligence, and the role of the world is really about data flow. You still need the data, but you just need it way faster and way more reliably than you would need anywhere else. Our job, but what the framework does is, you know, knows where the data is, which mostly coming from sensors, you know, radars, lidars, video cameras, whatever, um, getting that sensor data to the right algorithms to figure out what's going on and get the result of that algorithm out to a motor or controller or steering or braking system or whatever to make that work. Um, you know, these systems can get large. We have systems of hundreds of thousands of devices in them and trying to figure out which data goes to the right place at the right time. That's what. That clears things up. I think it's very helpful. Uh, we've talked about on the, on the podcast before why data is so important in AI. Um, but I think I'd love for you to kind of talk to our audience about that same kind of, I guess, prompt of, of the importance of data for AI to even be something that can be utilized and used to its full potential. Because you said, you know, you're getting data from these sensors, from these connected devices in some capacity, depending on what, te- what it is out there that's collecting from the physical world. Um, and then that's being fed in to the system to be able to be analyzed and have decisions made off of it. Um, are, is there more to it than that as to why the importance, why data is so important to kind of driving AI forward? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that because, you know, we work with real world systems and real world data is uh, typically lots of different measurements of the same thing from different perspectives. So one of the most important issues for instance, the sensor fusion where you have, you know, three or four different sensors all looking at the same scene, or maybe different instruments. Uh, a great example uh, is a, you know, we have a hospital system. Like I was going to use their name, GE Healthcare, is building this very intelligent, distributed instrumentation system for patient monitoring in hospitals. Um, and today, if you walk into a hospital, there's all these machines. Uh, I think they have about 300 different kinds of machines, uh, you know, ranging from Oximeters, the ECG monitors, the respiration monitors, uh, and ventilators. People have heard a lot of the names. Today, they're all separate things. They don't talk to each other. Uh, they don't know they're in the same room. They don't know they're connected to the same patient. And the only way for uh, somebody, for an intelligence, a human intelligence today, to make sense of it is to walk in the room and look at all the displays and say that one's correlated with that one in this way. Um, and what their system does is, uh, you know, uses the framework, which our framework, data centric. I'll talk about that. That means in a second, but it takes the data from all these different systems and can feed them into an intelligent algorithm that can now uh, make evaluations of what's going on with the patient based on multiple sources of information. So um, it's a lot of you know, information, of course, you know, the AI, the, the, the algorithms have to be uh, aware of what it means if you have a low respiration rate with a high oxygen content. I'm not a doctor, so any, any medical professional listening to this, don't, uh, don't uh, evaluate me based on, uh, you know, situations. But, you know, today, uh, even if you're in the ICU, you're probably only going to have the uh, professional caregiver walk into the room every hour or so and look at these devices and, and a, an intelligent algorithm can look at it every every second, every millisecond. It makes an absolutely huge difference in, in the ability of the technology to help uh, make that a better application. 
take that and, and expand it by thousands upon thousands of other applications out there. Uh, you know, autonomous car is sort of the same kind of thing where you now have LIDARs uh, and, and radars and vision cameras all looking at the same uh, scene and saying, well, that's a pedestrian, uh, that's a fire hydrant, it's not likely to move, you know, and then you have to have algorithms that figure out where you are in the scene, which is called localization, uh, and also, you know, what, you know, what is likely to be a problem for you. Uh, is that is that car you know going to be in in your path soon? So let me ask you: If I'm a company out there who might have some access to data, but understands the importance of being able to collect more data, what are the best ways, or what are better ways companies can go about getting data to be able to feed into their systems uh, and their software to? provide better insights, make better decisions, all that kind of good stuff. What, what, how do you kind of think through that if you work with an organization that maybe doesn't have the best data or access to the amount of data needed to really move the needle? Let me take a power balancing system, for instance. Um, the data you need for that power balancing system is things like uh, ability of plants to produce energy, uh, loading expectations uh, in the renewable world, wind projections, weather, and sun projections on solar uh, across some large region. Yeah. Uh, the way it used to work is uh, there were a whole bunch of oil-fired plants, which are the only things that are big enough to really matter on grid scale. In fact, there were 14 of them. <laughs> uh, with operators 24-7 on the phone talking to each other saying, oh, it looks like a hot day in Phoenix, they're going to need more power, but there's, you know, not enough wind in our uh, wind turbines over there. And you turn yours up a little bit and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll turn my, my power generation out, down a little bit. And by doing that, they could balance the grid because it's important for the grid to overall have a balance. Um, and, and back then the, the hydropower system was just dumping energy out based on which water they had. Um, but they uh, realized that uh, as you get more and more renewable penetration out there, um, this human-powered thing can't really balance the grid. And also the hydropower, so Grand Coulee is the largest power plant in North America. That's about 7 gigawatts. Uh, it's also the fastest uh, plant on the grid, so it can take all of that power on and off the grid in about 10 minutes. And they changed its mission from just generating electricity to balancing what's going on with the other renewables, with the wind and solar, because uh, wind and solar are clean energy, but they're actually uh, called dirty power because you can't depend on them. They go up and down with the weather. And uh, with that system, they're able to get a lot more renewable penetration. So, you know, we are, you know, most, uh, your, your AI, I realize most of your, AI applications are some organization that wants to run the business better on a, a time frame that's probably uh, measured in, in quarters or something. Uh, we're a very different company. We're trying to use, take AI a step out of the cloud. That provides bit benefits to the to organizations, right? Like in, in, in their ability to do things better, more effectively in some, depending on the industry and depending on kind of the use case. But I understand what you're saying with as what the difference is. You know, very soon you'll see everything you, you hear in the in especially in the automotive industry, software defined. 
Uh, we are hearing it everywhere, software-defined vehicles, software-defined defense, software-defined uh, automation, all sorts of things like that. And really what that means is taking what used to be very much uh, hardware, old-school, independent systems and connecting them together and making them connect to a, an intelligence, an AI, uh, so you can have a smart a smarter uh, system. It definitely makes the systems and the organizations that run them uh, much superior to what they used to be. If you're looking at like the important characteristics of a software-defined, AI-driven world, data flows is a big part of this. But how, how would you kind of, I guess, talk about that point as far as the important characteristics to, to really focus on when we're talking about software-defined and then in the world that is much more driven by, by AI? There's a fundamental architectural shift going on out there and it's called data centricity. The whole idea that in the past, most of these kinds of systems um, were built up from system components. Like we're going to have a database there, we're going to have a router here, we're going to have a network there, we're going to have sensors here. Uh, it's all about the the things in the system, the, the physical characteristics. Um, the new design completely turns that up, and then, and then you figure out what data flows through them. New design turns that completely upside down. Um, where now you think about what data each of the algorithms need and which of the systems need, and you design that first. And then you figure out what system components you need to deliver that data when you need it. Um, and that is, it's, it's a fundamental change in the way the world works. It's as big of a change as before we had databases in the enterprise world. Um, and it really is all about delivering the data that you need to these uh, intelligences to make fast, good decisions about how it's going, what it's able to do. How do these systems evaluate the quality of data that's coming in, good data versus bad data, what data to use to make the right decisions? How does that kind of work into to all this? That's a hard problem. You know, usually the way you figure out uh, quality of, if you have a quality of data problem, so, you know, the data in the, in the in these kind of systems coming from sensors. Sensors have errors. Uh, they get blocked out. They get uh, noisy. They get cut off altogether. Um, just sort of, you know, one example is the sensor fusion problem I was talking about. If you have uh, three different ways to measure what's going on, it's high, much higher quality than you just have one. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the early, I'll, I'll use a different example in the defense world, you know, trying to stop an incoming, uh, cruise missile from hitting a ship when you, your, your way of measuring that is with lots of different radar systems, you're going to have multiple views of those incoming things, uh, confuse that together and get a higher quality thing. And you can also keep working if one of them were to get lost, um, and, it's the exact same problem to not hit a pedestrian in a car. Uh, you now have multiple sensors uh, that, that can see that pedestrian. And if one of them is blocked uh, or, you know, for the cameras don't work very well in fog, uh, radar goes through fog pretty nicely, uh, you can use the higher quality sensor as a way to uh, get good data. There's mathematical ways to do that, call them filters and things, but there's also algorithmic ways to make that work better and in a well-trained uh, AI system that might be doing lean detection or something like that, 
are is really good at making high quality estimations of uh, what the scene really means to the vehicle. So let me ask you then, when it comes to the challenges of software-defined systems, um, what, what are some of those those big challenges as, as far as like, I'm sure there's elements that relate to autonomy, extensibility, other types of elements of all of this, characteristics of all this. What, what are some of those challenges and even some of the benefits that companies see with software-defined systems? The biggest challenge by far is that there are already systems out there that are not software-defined. In the automotive industry, for instance, most a modern vehicle will probably have hundreds of little boxes called ECUs, uh, electronic c- control units in the car. Every one of them has a processor in it. Every one of them is doing a very specific function. Um, they sort of work together, but they can't really, you know, can't update them all together and they can't easily be changed. Uh, and, you know, even very practical things like wiring them all together, the wiring harness of the cars is, I think is the third most expensive part of the car and one of the heaviest parts of the car. And you can replace all of that with a few very higher powered processors and some networking technology. And now it's updatable and uh, can be much more intelligent. Uh, you know, at that level, it makes a ton of sense. At the actual implementing and getting into the vehicles level, you've got all these problems with the OEMs, the manufacturers that have their supply chains. And the supply chains are used to delivering the little boxes with very simple interfaces. Uh, software interfacing is much harder than the the old uh, hardware inter- simple hardware interfaces because hard- simple hardware interfaces just send a few bytes back and forth. Now you've got to send an entire image or a, a world model of what's going on. Uh, it's a very different kind of uh, integration problem. Um, RTI is a, you know, we're really a real world software integration expert. That's what we do. And the uh, problem is to actually bring that technology into a different kind of design. Unless you're starting from scratch, which is why a lot of the electric vehicles are much more sophisticated in software, um, it's very difficult to change your entire mindset and your entire supply chain and your entire development philosophy to be around software. So, you know, the, the AI algorithms and in that world are things like sensor fusion, planning, collision detection, all those things need all this data that just isn't available on the current world. And there's a huge challenge to get to where you have a software-defined system. Are there industries that you're seeing take advantage more of kind of a software-defined approach than before or, or, or industries that you feel like could benefit from this kind of, kind of process? We see transportation, autonomous vehicles, trains, mass transit, uh, quite a bit going on in there, traffic control, like air traffic control, even some ground traffic, like Canadian air traffic control system. Uh, the new air, urban air mobilities, flying cars, some customers doing that. Um, in the energy space, it's uh, renewable generation mostly. A little bit of future grid work, medical, robotics, imaging, patient monitoring, defense, table, radars, avionics, ground vehicles. Uh, simulation of training, it's a, it's a, and then lots of other things, sports timing, autonomous vehicles, for instance, you realize that the individual cars don't learn anything. That's not how it works. They collect data from many, many incidents and they run it up to, you know, humans who actually look at these things and create training sets that train the AIs. 
um, and that updates, uh, you know, the neural net parameters, uh, the weights and things, and that gets loaded back down into all the vehicles. Uh, that's how the training works in this real world system. It's not, you know, it's not like a human driver where every driver has to learn the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, everybody learns from everybody's mistakes. Of course, the problem in the real in the, the automotive space is there's a lot of different situations that called career cases out there. It's kind of difficult to to control for all of them. But I, I started to say I started my career crashing cars for a living, doing biomechanic impact testing at University of Michigan, um, and I learned from that a couple of things. One, it's very hard to actually predict occupants in a high-speed crash will never actually do a really good job of that. And the second thing is the healthy disrespect for the quality of human drivers. For audience out there who wants to learn more about kind of the company itself, what y'all are doing, follow up on on kind of anything we talked about today or ask questions, what's the best way that they can do that? Go to our website, rti.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I don't have a nice easy thing, but just look for Stan Schneider, RTI on LinkedIn. I, I do that social media more than anything else. Great domain to get. That's a long story. Actually had the seven figure offers for that domain. Sam, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, great conversation. A lot of interesting insights when it comes to just kind of not just what you all are doing, but the value that you know the access to data is able to provide in these real world systems and solutions for things that are very important, you know, that 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 have the capabilities and what they can do as as things get smarter is exciting to think about um, across all these different industries. And you're all working on some very, very cool projects. So really appreciate you taking the time to come on and kind of talk to our audience about it. 